Imagine being in your home at 12.40 a.m. in the morning, resting and relaxing, not thinking about anything, but pretty much sleep. (laughs) And within seconds, in the blink of an eye, your life is taken. Well, that's exactly what happened to Breonna Taylor and what has happened to many Black Americans in the United States. Today on The Reload, you will be joined with me, of course, Kiana Ward, and I have on my panel Miss Tamika Bennett, who is an attorney. She received her bachelor's degree in political science and government from the state of Mississippi, Mississippi State University. Her JD from the University of Mississippi, which is what we call Ole Miss. <laughs> Tamika is someone that has experience in activism, child and parental proceedings, state legal proceedings, consulting, and she is the owner of the Bennett Law Office in Rankin County. I also have with me Mr. C.J. Lawrence, who is not only an entertainment attorney and criminal defense attorney, he has his own law firm, Charles Lawrence and Associates Attorneys at Law. He is the CEO of the Black with No Chaser Multimedia Roundtable, which guided through storytelling in an unapologetic and unfiltered what I say, minds of blackness. <laughs> um, he is a graduate of Tougaloo College, where he received his bachelor's in English language and lit, and his JD from Thurgood Marshall School of Law. A true activist addressing the systemic oppression, social economics issues, and much, much more. So today, where I want to start off is where do we go from here? Why Cameron's investigation did not examine potential civil rights or criminal violation? And I wanna start that question off with you, Tamika, especially since you are not only an attorney, but being a black woman and living here in America and also being, you know, from the state of Mississippi, where, of course, the South has always experienced more violence when it comes to um, human rights, when it comes to um, racism, and so much more. Um, Good afternoon. I would say just from experience that if a prosecutor wants to get charges for a crime, they can So what that tells me is that the prosecutor was not of a mindset to get charges for the particular crime. Um, Essentially, the other answer, the long of the short is you always have to start at the beginning. You have to start on the foundation of which the United States of America was founded upon and the relationship as that is to black people. And so um, that is interwoven into our society 
It is interwoven in the way that we raise our children. It's interwoven into the very fabric of our existence. And so that being said, you, you simply have to go back and look at the beginning. Um, here, race is a very um, overarching factor in every decision that's made. You have to take, unfortunately, you know, no one wants to deal with that at this time. You would think that things would be different, but it is the reality of the situation that that is an overarching construct of everything that's done here. If you change fact patterns based on race, the outcome quite possibly would have been different. But essentially, if a prosecutor didn't get charges for a crime, it's because they didn't want to. Yeah. Mm, interesting. And CJ, because we know um, a warrant was issued March on March 12th, if we if we go back to the beginning of this case, March 12th is when the ish, the warrant was actually signed by a judge and issued, which led into the 13th, where um, that morning where they entered the home of um, Brianna Taylor. Why would a warrant be uh, a warrant be served and granted without proof, or at least, or a witness testifying that what they assume to be someone who is a drug trafficker um, is really such a drug trafficker, or whatever the home that they want to enter is really the place where. Narcotics and drugs are being trafficked in and out. Um, can you you answer? answer? Sure. So, hey, Kiana, mm -hmm. I, and the the rest of the group, Tamika, my girl, that's my homie there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that what you're really asking here is how was a warrant served without probable cause existing? Mm -hmm. uh, established that um, you know that was something based on the totality of the circumstances to determine that this is the place that we need to be to one look for uh, the person that they were actually looking for the person in question and two to to uh, come to that space in the manner in which they did uh, and to be quite honest with you we have to again go back to what uh, Tamika uh, stated uh, Many times uh, in America, because of systemic oppression and the way that this criminal justice system is designed, um, many things that would um, normally come into question as far as constitutionality is concerned, um, often get dismissed when it relates to um, dealing with us as black folk. Uh, even approaching the situation and in, in the manner in which they did, they didn't just serve a search warrant when they went to Breonna Taylor's house. They went with a whole fucking SWAT team. Mm, yes. uh, they came to her house with tanks. So, I mean, it's it's one thing to say, you know, uh, we're serving a search warrant because we are conducting an investigation and have the belief that maybe either drugs, money, or the actual person in which we are, are seeking out is that location mm -hmm. turned out the person certainly was not at the location um that they were that they were investigating at the time nor were any drugs or um any money 
So you essentially are serving this no knock SWAT team raid on a home that uh, that truly, for lack of a better term, is unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of problems that you have there with that being the approach. One being them serving a warrant at approximately 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. Uh, from the standpoint that whatever um, it is that you're doing, dealing with, um, drugs are are considered a non-violent offense, right? Drugs in, and up, if in a vacuum. When you're dealing with drugs, money related to drugs, or any of these things, these are non-violent offenses. So because they are non-violent offenses, because there was no truly exigent circumstances which existed, that stated you needed to serve this at 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 one o'clock in the morning before you miss out on your chance at nine a.m. the next day. Uh, these are things that, that that should have and could have been taken into consideration with regard to this. It didn't have to be a no knock, kick in the door, uh, serving if what they were truly seeking out uh, were drugs and money, right? They didn't have to kick in the door to uh, conduct that investigation, but because of um, who they were conducting the investigation uh, investigation against um, how they how they how they sought to do it they didn't really give a damn about um, whether or not there was truly either any constitutionality with regard to it because they were out to um, out to get first and foremost the gentleman and I don't remember remember his name uh, they yeah. were out to um, right said, um, in a row row. Right, they were out to get him. Lover, necessary, not at that location. Uh, and so, there's there's a lot of issues that we have with this with this situation. Uh, I I really want to get into um, some of the problems that that they had beyond just serving the warrant, but the warrant in and of itself was one that. Uh, I don't know that I, I don't know that that it was truly um, one that was based in anything far more than uh, speculation. Um, it was clear that whatever it was that they thought they would find at her home, they did not find, and it was not like she was aware that they were coming and prepared for them to be there. Uh, had she been prepared, she wouldn't have been there with the understanding that they were coming in the way that they were coming. Obviously, right. so. Right. And and I have to say this, um, her ex-boyfriend, I can't remember his first name. I just know the last name is Glover. Um, they started watching him, I think back in January, just so that some of us know it was January. Um, he had prior, um, drug violations and, um, they they was pretty much watching him. They were I think they were trying to target someone else. But in the midst of me reading and learning more about the case, what was so interesting is that okay, you guys issued five other warrants uh, for that day to be executed on that day, and simply because he went to um, Brianna's home and they saw him leave with a package not saying how big the package was not saying it was multiple packages not stating that it was multiple times and 
also realizing that they also lied in their affidavit affidavit um, about um, packages being drug packages being shipped and sent from um, from the U.S. Post Office, which they denied that. Um, it's it's just interesting to to see why a judge wouldn't really do what is necessary in learning more about a case before just signing off. Like, what what is the initial thought process that a judge is is supposed to um, consider before even signing? Um. You have to understand the relationship between law enforcement and the bench. Um, it's a very close-knit community. Um, the prosecution, the judges, and the law enforcement community work very closely with each other. They're very familiar with each other, and they rely on what law enforcement tells them about certain situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and often, if an officer tells them a certain version of events, that is the narrative that they're going to choose to follow. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I believe that they do that because they haven't really had to face any serious consequences as a result of them um, signing off on things. Because most of the time, the evidence that they have or the person that has provided them with the information about what's going to be there, it materializes. And so this particular incident is, you know, I don't know where they got their intel or or what. My main issue is that even in the event of officer safety, it seems as if the investigation was not complete because the, the issue is I mean, did you see this young man's car in the parking lot when you got there? Um, I don't think they even knew that the new boyfriend was there. Mm -hmm. It's just certain things that I would, you know, if I was an officer that I would want to know before I put myself into a position where I could potentially be harmed. That's just me. I don't know because I'm not an officer and I don't know, you know, the thought process. But I would say that before I go in, even though I might have a SWAT team with me, I need to know who in this house, how many people are in this house. Do these people have the you know access to legally carry guns? Like what what are we walking into? Nobody walks into a situation blind, in my opinion. But I can't say you know what they were thinking. But the the answer to your question is is that. It pretty much it's the same answer to the first question. Yeah. Same. If a law enforcement officer wants a warrant, they're going to get a warrant. And probable cause the has been eroded so much to the point that it's really based on a hunch. It could be based on anything now. You right. know, just oh well, you know, I had a feeling they I I had a source that told me this, you know, whatever that's pretty much all they need. Right. Unfortunately. And speaking, speaking of the, you know, no, not um, warrant, I, we also have with us today a gentleman um, by the name of UB Thomas, who is 
a native of the Louisville, Kentucky area, and he's a outstanding comedian here in, in the state of New York. Um, UB, I want you to just, can you address, address some of that? Because I'm sure being a black man and, and living in, in that city and in that state, or do you see this happening a lot? Because, you know, we hear, we hear these stories, um, but oftentimes it's, it's, um, it's, it's portrayed as if um, the person who they, they go out and seek and that who they arrest are always in the wrong, especially when, um, you know, the shoot, if shooting takes place in the midst of serving a warrant. Yeah. Um, being from Louisville, <clears throat> one thing I can say, the, the police, they, they definitely don't like to be wrong. Uh, first and foremost, I, yeah. You know, in my younger days, I had a situation with this. I, you know, I uh, sold weed in my younger days. You know, and I, I was kind of dumb. I did it from my house. You know, it wasn't very smart. But uh, long story short, I had a, a warrant. You know, served for me, and they came, and uh, they came like, and all I was selling was you know a little bit of weed, and they came like they came <laughs> like you would have thought I was baby Scarface. Like, I'm, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't have it like that. Like, what are y'all doing? I mean, it was scary. Like they, I mean, they staked my house, and I seen them. They, they followed me to pick my son up from school. They waited till I got my son from school until I went back to my apartment, and then that's when they decided, as I, as my, as me and my son were getting out of the car, about to walk back up to our apartment, they just swarmed my car, mm. and I had. You know, luckily I had people in my, in my neighborhood that were close to me that could take after my son, but they did all of this in front of my son. Like, uh, and they had the opportunity to do it before, but uh, I mean, it's like, they just, they'll do whatever they want, when they want, and they don't like to be wrong. Like I said, I was, uh, they, I was tipped off myself that they were watching. Mm -hmm. So I knew I got like everything out of my place like way before. So when they came and they tore my house up, like looking for stuff, and when they didn't find anything, like they were very upset. And, uh, yeah. and, and but I told the cop before, I was like, look, man, I said, oh, right now, I said, you did all this in front of my kids. And I said, when you go in my apartment and you don't find anything, I need you to go tell my son that you all made a mistake. And uh, he did. After he did that, they didn't find anything. He went up to my son and he was like, you know, we made a mistake. We thought your daddy was somebody else and he wasn't. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I've lived it. Uh, luckily, nothing got violent because my mother taught me to be very compliant with the police, uh, no matter what. Uh, the name of the game is don't give them a reason because they are just looking for a reason. Um, but yeah, it's, it's scary, man. Uh, but like I said, being from Louisville, we knew this was gonna happen. Like Kentucky is one of the most racist states, uh, you, know, uh, you know, quote unquote. You know, like you said, the South uh, has a, the, the history of racism is woven. And uh, like you said, if the warrant wanted, to, if they wanted to get that warrant, they could have got it, and mm -hmm. whatever happened to could have happened. I do have a question for the attorneys myself. Yeah. I was just thinking, do you all honestly think that this would have went different if this was a white person? Mm -hmm. You muted. 
can't unmute fast enough, man. <laughs> I've been thinking about it, man. So I was like, I want to ask him to tell me that question. I'm like, oh, Go this ahead, was, to be quite honest with you, I don't think that this would have ever happened um, mm. with women. I don't think they would have been watching a white man uh, as closely as they were watching this, this, this black man in order to be watching his girlfriend in order to be hoping that they could either catch the white man, his white money, or their or their white drugs at this location. Um, so I think you have to look at the the entirety of the events to just even get to the white neighborhood. I don't I don't technically I would say that I live in a, in a white neighborhood. My neighborhood is pretty damn white. I've never seen um, police posted up in our neighborhood. I've never seen them kind of patrol. I've never seen any checkpoints around the neighborhood that I live in. Uh, now you go to other communities within the, within the same city that I live in, and those communities be black communities every once in a while. Uh, and my city is unique because it's, it's, it's a predominantly black city. So, um, uh, but the checkpoints are not where the white people are right and a lot of times the investigations aren't either um i think that are y'all familiar with justine tucker in minneapolis minnesota no but she, educate us yeah well justine tucker uh, approximately three or four years ago was shot and killed by i believe a some somalian or ethiopian police officer oh yes uh, yes 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 she yes. was a white lady from australia uh she got killed about maybe a year or two after philando castile in the same city uh well as we know uh philando castile's killer uh was not convicted he was indicted but not for murder mm -hmm. uh was not convicted uh and subsequently you know was i believe exonerated on, on the charges Justine Tucker's officer, however, was a, again like Ethiopian slash, you know, black man. And uh, her being a white Australian lady, he was the, the police union didn't come forward for him to speak on his behalf. The same police union that spoke on the Philando Castillo's uh, right. behalf, uh, the, the Minnesota police union, they did not speak on behalf of the the man who killed uh, Justine Tucker. Uh, I think. Justine Tucker's family was awarded twenty or thirty million dollars. Yeah, it was like well, thirty more million than what Rihanna well, Taylor yeah. was offered, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yes. And, and uh, in addition to that, her killer was convicted. Yeah. Her killer was convicted. He was a pariah. He was an outcast to everyone, and nobody could understand how it would be possible for him to have fear for her life from. So I think that white people would have turned Louisville upside down. I mean, I, I think they would have, I think they would have tore it up if something like that happened. You look at uh, the situation that just occurred recently. Uh, that was a, a, a little, no, it wasn't necessarily recent, but a little white boy a few years ago got killed in Louisiana by black police officers. Yeah. And again, they tore that motherfucker up looking for looking for those officers and i think uh you know when the gun is in the other hand um 
and and, and I want to take you to an, another hypothetical if, if I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was just some black dudes that ran up in a white woman's house, would this have gone down like it like it did? Uh, we are in a situation where many times, particularly in the state that America is in currently, people believe in the Second Amendment. They believe they, they, they are proponents of the Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms. They are proponents of things like the Castle Doctrine and the Stand Your Ground Doctrines, right? Both of which are stating that you have the right to defend yourself. Castle Doctrine speaking specifically to your right to defend yourself in your home. Yet when Kenneth does exactly that in his home, when an unknown intruder kicks in the door um, and you know unannounced mm-hmm. comes into their home and invades their their sacred space he then takes it upon himself to defend himself the whole idea of standing your ground goes out the window the whole idea of the second amendment goes out the window the whole idea of the castle doctrine and the right to defend your property and your and your and your and your sacred space goes out the window for those same people who normally Mitch McConnell would be proponents of things like that. Uh, and so I think those are the those are the unique real life nuances that we have to look at with this. Is, uh, how 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 flexible this system seems to be when it comes to us doing exactly the things that they create the system uh, and the laws to be able to do, right? I don't, I, I think you set a bad precedent when you say a person doesn't have the right to shoot at a, a, a stranger in their home. Right, and I think it's also funny, well, not funny, but it's interesting how, you know, with um, Brianna Taylor, current boyfriend, Mr. Um, Kenneth Walker, it, like within minutes, they arrested him for doing the exact same thing that you're speaking of, yeah. which is standing your ground. ground. And, and like I said, when, when you first came on, like imagine being in your home. When I'm in my home, all of my lights are off. I sleep in the dark. I watch TV in the dark. So if someone, if I hear someone at my door and I'm yelling, who is it, who is it? And they're not saying anything, I'm going to get my gun and protect my home because A, I don't know who you are. B, I'm not going to go near the door because you may have very well have a gun or trying to break in my home. So the fact that they tried to press charges for I think first degree, they tried to give him almost like first attempted, mm-hmm. I think like attempted um attempted murder or whatever the case may be. And um and, police. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the charges was dropped later on after so much information was coming out about the case, uh, which also draws me to how how um, Black Americans went in 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 a result or getting in trouble with the law and taking it into uh, the criminal court system or into the court system, we are treated unfairly. We are treated more aggressively in like times or terms that are being served towards us and then we sit here with this case and and i think everybody forget about the initial reason of this case was to see and to determine 
were the officers wrong for a intruding this young lady's home but also murdering someone that that wasn't even supposed to be murdered at all and they the out of the three officers only two only two two were weren't even considered in this process and um mr um hankinson was given with three counts of wanton endangerment let's speak on that from the both of you guys being attorneys what does that even really mean and why would they give him that those charges and found him guilty of that when actually that statement from from my understanding pretty much states that you're in wrong of putting somebody's life in danger which that is exactly what they did yeah. can can you both elaborate on that what that means and and whatever else your thoughts on <laughs> this verdict that that happened okay um i will answer that but to go back to something that cj had said earlier mm -hmm. about um disparities in the criminal justice system mm -hmm. i will say this i'm a public defender in a county that's um, mostly um caucasian mm -hmm. and i will tell you this uh my clients i think that the unfortunate thing and that uh, a lot of people need to realize about policing and about um, the effects. It's not just unique to us. Um, the culture of over-policing or investigations, aggressiveness, things, they, those same tactics are applied to others as well. Mm -hmm. I think the, the issue is, is that a lot of people don't recognize how police are until they have their own personal interaction with the police like i've had clients in this county that have said you know you know the officer did this, this and you know i would have never thought that police would be like that and that's because they've never had an interaction it's those those memes that you see it's like if you would comply you know you won't have any trouble that's not necessarily the case in, in all situations and it's not necessarily the case that uh, these same, I mean, I've seen videotapes where, you know, that's the issue with the body cam where you can see them like celebrating because they got the dope on somebody. Right, and, right. You know, a jury gonna see them doing this and doing that. And it's, it's appalling in a lot of ways to see these things. And it's not just against us. And so I would hope that people would start to recognize that when you're mm. protecting your rights, you're not just protecting the rights of minorities. They're all of our collective rights to be shielded from the harm of the police being able to just do whatever they want to do. There should be some checks and balances with that. And then back to the question in regards to what you asked about the, again, it goes back to prosecution, <laughs> whatever charge they want, they can get it. And it, essentially with that, it's like they went ahead and went to all the lesser included. Uh, so, you know, they could have charged manslaughter. They could have charged a whole bunch of stuff that would have got to that same yeah. charge in the that. end by a jury if they, you know, felt that the evidence wasn't there. But it's like they skipped that step and just went right on to the lesser, lesser included. Matter of fact, it's at the point where they really could have just charged them with um, uh, some type of misdemeanor because it's just, 
it, it's the it's reality is that they can charge you with anything. I have seen, I've had a, a minor, well, a, a person who committed a crime as a minor, they, you know, were charged as an adult, but shooting into an occupied dwelling and have gotten, you know, a tougher, and nobody was, you know, nobody was hurt, nobody was shot, but just the fact that they shot into the place was enough for them to warrant, you know, a certain a certain sentence, which is way more than what these officers are facing in this in this um, case. So again, it goes back to your it goes back to who you elect and put in these positions, your judges, the people who are signing off on these things. You have to be informed about who they are and where they're coming from. A lot of the times, our judges are former prosecutors. Again, it goes back to the relationships between law enforcement and that community they're very close-knit and so they're very familiar with each other and essentially they would look out for each other right i think that it's important to kind of talk about who daniel cameron is mm. before uh mm -hmm. getting um really that to answer your question so brief background on who daniel cameron is daniel cameron prior to becoming the attorney general normally Attorney generals don't prosecute cases for lure, right? He actually out in technically not as a, necessarily as a special prosecutor, but the uh, Louisville prosecutor, district attorney, excuse me, recused him, either himself or herself. I'm not sure if it's a man, mm -hmm. but the, they, that office recused itself, and the attorney general then stepped in. The attorney general, of course, is uh, Daniel Cameron, mm -hmm. who is a former employee of Mitch McConnell, the very same Mitch McConnell that, that is the senator from Kentucky right. who, who uh, actually refused Barack Obama the uh, opportunity to appoint a Supreme Court justice uh, upon Anton Scalia's passing in um, 2015 uh, or 2016. So it was 2016. Okay. Um, so when when that occurred, uh, we knew what type of person we were dealing with in, in Mitch McConnell at that time. But he worked for Mitch McConnell. Not only did he work for Mitch McConnell, he married into Mitch McConnell's family. Mm -hmm. So uh, you talking about a real bootlicker right here. Mm -hmm. uh, and so understanding that, we understood that in dealing with this great individual, we were really going to be dealing with um, you know, some bullshit. I mean, like, you you went from uh, the frying pan to the fire, essentially. Um, now, what I would say is, uh, also, uh, just, just as a historical fact, um, the date in which this occurred, the date in which this was announced, oh, yeah. uh, actually also happens to be um, the date in which um, Emmett Till's murderers were also exonerated in 1955. So um, I have no idea if this was something that they were aware of at the time they selected the date to make the announcement, but the uh, coincidence uh, definitely does not fall deaf upon me. Uh, and um, so now I get into the, the wanton endangerment. Mm. What we understand about this wanton endangerment uh, and those charges really is that what Daniel Cameron said at the time that he uh, chose to charge the one officer with one three counts of wanton endangerment is that 
those charges weren't even about Breonna Taylor. No. No. It's not in the indictment. Uh, so the one endangerment, the, the 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 investigation that was supposed to be about her life resulted in them determining that there was someone else's life that should be valued in this matter, but it wasn't Breonna Taylor. Mm -hmm. And um, what wanton endangerment uh, simply essentially amounts to what Count of Tamika uh, broke down is um, essentially like a reckless disregard for mm -hmm. what you're doing at the time that you're firing this weapon into uh, this this building where people live, right? And I and I suppose if it's a multi-unit home that uh, Breonna Taylor is living in, and that means that there's more families living in this space and you firing indiscriminately could result in families that were innocent you know uh, as though she as though she wasn't also innocent uh being endangered and so that's really what that's really all this was it was he shouldn't have been he shouldn't have fired his weapon indiscriminately he should have just fired if he only fired at, at and into brianna taylor or kenneth Mm -hmm. Then it was no charge. So what he really was charged with was being a bad shot. Mm -hmm. Wow! Right? Yeah. And that's that's um, it's it's really tough. I think it adds insult to injury, and I I don't think it was, I don't think that when Daniel Cameron did it, it was intention to uh to be a um to placate uh the people. It wasn't like oh here we're gonna give you something, and this is what we're gonna give you. I think it was um a way of showing you it, it was a it was a it was a power move of, of mm -hmm. this that's how much i don't give a damn y'all y'all gonna show up in my instead of my yard let me show you just how much i don't like yeah do you think um you know in regards to the proceeding of this of the case um do you think the governor governor andy um bishir i think that's bishir yeah that's his last name yeah. um you do you think he what is his authority in this case because i know that he doesn't necessarily have power per, per se over the attorney general but do you feel that there can be some type of move where we can actually um see the grand jury detail in regards to how this was actually proceeded and what really took place in that in that room um when they brought this case in front of the jury or the people who were listening in and cj i'll just ask you have you ever seen the transcript from a grand jury me neither i've never ever never and i would mm -hmm. say this um the likelihood of that happening is probably slim to none mm -hmm. it it's designed to be a secret proceeding so i don't, I like don't even know why we're asking for that because I, I mean i hate i don't want to be the jaded person but at the same no. time it's like you're not gonna get it mm -hmm. um and i don't know what mechanism we could use to get it but at the same time I, we have criminal defense clients and they're like i don't know what they could have said before the grand jury because i was here or i was there and none of this happened and you'll never know because I'll, it's basically one team showing up for a football game mm -hmm. and your team ain't show up and they basically just running up and down the field scoring on you every time. That's what a grand jury is. So essentially, that's why I said if a prosecutor wants to get a charge, 
they can get a charge. They don't have to have full-blown concrete evidence. All they have to do is have somebody, an affidavit or something to say, hey, you know, he did put this person's life in danger when he fired these shots. So that's enough for us to go ahead and charge him with manslaughter. Or that's enough for us to go ahead and charge them with murder or whatever it is. So it all comes back to what was presented to the grand jury. And the fact remains of us actually seeing what that is, I highly suspect that that will not happen. But, I, you know, I don't know. What, Stranger things have happened. What I was what I would say is that it definitely um, highlights um, who um, the prosecution is really working for in in cases of state sanctioned deaths of black people, right? What you understand is the prosecution is supposed to be working for the victim of of the crime, right? Uh, because the victim can, unlike civil cases where you can hire your own attorney, mm -hmm. you are relying upon the state to provide representation for uh, the deceased. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I personally believe that there is, I've, I've been a, a, a real proponent for the idea of people being able to hire who their champion will be when it comes to prosecuting cases. Uh, at times, like, as far as private pro prosecution is concerned, uh, realistically, I, I have no idea if if that opportunity would ever come. But in these particular types of cases, where you again like to meet the state, stated earlier, have people who work together. Sometimes I've been in cases and I felt like the uh, the judge worked for the DA. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he he thought he was a part of the team, mm -hmm. and the police. Um, would refuse to answer questions directly and the judge wouldn't make them even upon objection. And uh, and so you literally would have to, to begin to frame your questions in such a way that they could honestly, yes or no. Like I would literally have to ask for yes or no answers and, and ask for the judge to ask the officers to comply in order to be able to establish on the record that they were being non-responsive at the time. Uh, the reason I say all of that is to say that yeah, Daniel Cameron knew who he was working for and who he was working with at the time. He, he knew which team he was on. We knew which team he was on. And so it was going to be very difficult to win. Uh, with regard to the grand jury, uh, whether the grand jury, the grand jury is a secret. Of, it's, it's another archaic thing that does not include black people in the process, never included or considered us, but who, what we are very much subjected to. Criminal, uh, the defendants aren't in the grand jury. Um, the, the attorneys aren't in there. The prosecutor's in there, and the grand jury's in there. I've never seen the inside of one, uh, and, I, and, and I've never seen the results of one. The only thing I know is that at some point, an indictment winds up on my desk or, inf or a bill of information. Mm. Uh, and, and once we have those, this is what we this is what we know the person has been charged with charging document and we move forward from there beginning to, to to get our what we call discovery our evidence but you can lie they can lie in a grand jury you know so long as it's not proven that they lie they can uh admit hearsay testimony in in, in grand juries essentially it's a free for all so for a prosecutor to be able able to say that I was unable to, to obtain anything that would give me or give me the power to make a grand jury confident that probable cause exists uh, would be um, 
unbelievable at best when someone is dead as a result of the actions of another. So CJ, it sounds like this is where the um, systemic oppression comes into place. And is this where um, the FBI comes in to do their own investigation to see, okay, if um, civil and um, criminal laws or procedures or proceedings have been violated? Is this what this is this where their role comes into place? And do you feel that we will see a different outcome in regards to Brianna Ta- um Brianna Taylor's case when the FBI um, completes their investigation? Okay. Um, so first thing I'll say is that there is there's been a state civil lawsuit that has been resolved and settled. That is the twelve million dollar settlement. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an ongoing federal investigation to my understanding that is being brought forth by the Department of Justice uh, but it's Trump's Department of Justice yeah. and so Tamika, Tamika that's what I'm like yo like literally y'all we, you know how like when they be like we got the vote mm-hmm. like <laughs> That's this the really shit up. That's the really shit up of this time. Like, I mean, it's 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 always real, but you know, like I'm not one of those I'm going to guilt you into voting type of things. But if you look at the chain of command that is occurring and you look at literally how a system is being designed where you got Mitch McConnell, the same Mitch McConnell who set it up so that Trump will be able to put uh someone else in on the Supreme Court, uh, other than who who Obama presented, set it up so that um you know who who's the right man, hand man of Trump, but also who is uh, you got Daniel Cameron who is uh, who is Mitch McConnell's right hand man. Mm-hmm. You got Daniel Cameron who is um, Mitch, Mitch the, the Kentucky Attorney General who who Mitch McConnell helped get elected for the position who um, who facilitated this case. You look at all of these things and you're saying this is the same system that's existing here, right? The same, the same system that a lot that ensured that Trump also didn't get, didn't get impeached. So, if you think about what the, what that Department of Justice is going to provide you, if you think if you think that's something that you can have any faith in uh, whatsoever, then I gotta um, I gotta I gotta breeze in Brooklyn. I'm willing to sell to you. You know what I mean for the free ninety nine. Mm. What about you, Tamika? I just reiterate, um, <laughs> you have to listen to people tell you what they're doing to you. And a lot of times we don't listen to what they're saying. And then we act as if we didn't hear it. The, the main statements that Mitch McConnell and some of the other people in Congress have, have said over the last week is elections have consequences. And they basically said that they were put in the place that they're in to do their jobs. And their job as a partisan is to carry out the the vision of their party. And so you have to understand that these are the this is the reality of what we're seeing here. And at the end of the day, the Justice Department, the FBI, they're still the police. So if you're looking for them to validate us, 
I don't see that occurring. I don't see that occurring for us. I don't uh, see that occurring for just normal people. There's there's a difference in how investigations occur. There are, um, you know, certain levels to this. As CJ explained, you know, when you get to court in cases when evidence is sketchy and you file motions to limit that, um, evidence from coming in, but the judge is a former prosecutor, not so that the evidence is coming in. So you just have to understand that every election matters, not just the presidential election, every election matters. And you have to make sure that you're putting people into position that can honestly carry out the rule of law and without biases and party loyalty to any party and that they really can do what the constitution was designed to do for all american citizens and see that's where we have gotten to this point where everything is so polarized that we can't we can't see at any point how to make things the way that they're really supposed to be Right. And as we wrap up the show, this is this will be the last question for each of you. Um, I want to know what are you hoping and what do you feel is the next steps since obviously there there's not going to be any real justice that equates to what actually happened uh, to Breonna Taylor. But what can we what needs to happen next? Well, what are your hopes of what is, what should happen next for us to change and um, break this type of cycle that is happening to all Black America and as well as just citizens, periods, period, who don't see the justice when something like this takes place? I want, I want to answer that. Uh, and say this is a joke, but it's a serious answer. I really think we need a good black person in some high, I mean, just, I don't know, just in a judge, the president, we just need, cause like, that's what's gonna break it. Like you ever seen those movies where you get this predominantly white, white family, and then like a hood person comes in and just changes everything and then their perspective kind of changes. Like, I think that's what's gonna need to happen cause I don't see it honestly ever for, changes it's uh, like you said it's woven into us and once that it's gonna take a lot to get that out man uh we just gotta continue to do what we're doing like you said get people in the office that's where the beginning of the change is gonna start but uh yeah i just pray for black people pray for everybody uh, pray that everybody's hearts just change you know we can all exist on this earth and have beautiful i mean that so many other problems like we don't need that you know we don't need racism anymore like i'm just like come on y'all racism has been a problem forever <laughs> like we could, we could stop that now like right like can we stop that like you know what i'm saying like it was at one point it was all white sports it was white baseball white basketball you add some color into it it got fun you know let us do our thing white people y'all see that we are just as amazing as you you know uh, so we need to, I don't know, we got to find a way to coexist without race being an issue. I don't know how, but it has to happen. Hmm. Um, I, I just want to end by saying that essentially I still have faith. I still have faith that there are good people 
on both sides of the spectrum in both political parties. I hope that people realize if you are a true proponent and you love the United States, you love the Constitution and you know what the Constitution stands for, then you should be able to follow the ideas of the Constitution without being beholden to any political party, in my opinion. And I believe that we we can be the change that we want to see. I think that it starts with us. It starts with us believing in who we are and not necessarily falling for the narrative of what we've been fed. And that means that we we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in God's image and we kick behind all the time. And just basically the sky is the limit. And so whatever they throw at us, we historically have been able to rise above in every obstacle that has come forth. And unfortunately, I don't think that this will be the last time that this incident occurs. You know, mm. I think that it will it will most likely happen again. I, I hate to say that, but the reality of the situation is, is that we have to keep fighting and we have to keep putting forth our best effort and best foot that we can to overcome the societal constraints that are there. And the way that you do that is number one, you got to have confidence in yourself. And number two, you got to go forth every day, putting your best effort forward. Because the thing of the matter is, is that we can't wait for anybody to give us anything. At this point, you have to let the world know that it, as, as the Bible say, it's yours, go get it. So I'm coming for everything that God has told me that is mine. Okay, CJ. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I agree that um, we must be a self-determined people. We must be um, focused. We must be. Um, I think we must understand that uh, it's going to be paramount upon ourselves to organize ourselves, educate ourselves, and mobilize ourselves uh, so that. Um, that our, that our fate is that, I mean, we, we're going to deal, continue to deal with the delusion of systemic, the, the delusion of white supremacy in the United States of America and the systems that have been created by that delusion. However, um, we can prepare ourselves as best we can uh, to combat it. Uh, but Mitch McConnell can be voted out this term. I mean, literally uh, in November, November 3rd can be, uh, you know, the last day technically for Mitch McConnell when, you know, it would he would leave in January officially. November third, we could we could fire Mitch McConnell. And we could do that a lot of ways. We could do that uh with a lot of uh Senate elections that are occurring right uh right now. We could do that on state, local levels. Um uh we can also do it by uh organizing ourselves and understanding that we have to uh, empower ourselves through collective economics uh creating opportunities for for ourselves not in a reactionary way when it comes to supporting black businesses uh supporting each other but uh being proactive in how we plan and organize that uh some of the other things that we can do is begin to uh, look at craft and implement policy uh develop them with organizations like black lives matter with uh, Movement for Black Lives, uh, Color of Change, some of these other organizations that exist that uh, are doing the actual work of 
developing local policy, trying to implement things like the Breathe Act um, that speak directly to issues uh, like the issues that we've seen here in the um, Breonna Taylor case with um, the no-knock warrant. The reason that, that there are no more no-knock warrants is because policy changed. And I'm not just talking about police internal policy, but I'm talking about the laws change. The city laws change, state laws change, federal laws change. Those are the things that we have to um, begin to look at. What I want uh, to happen, I want people to continue fighting. I want people to continue to be in the streets. I want, I want Louisville to feel uh, our pain. Uh, for as long as, you know, uh, we hurt about this until others, and I don't mean hurt like we hurt others, but I mean until others lose sleep at night over black lives, uh, we're going to uh, really be on our own in, in, the, in this struggle, in this fight. Uh, and I think we've seen some, some transformation along those lines, particularly since the uh, deaths of particularly George Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, I think we have seen some changes, but much of it is some people just sticking their toes in the water. Uh, and I don't think we can necessarily rely upon or trust that just yet. We have to continue to press forward. Uh, we have to continue to uh, be determined and we have to continue to be strategic about it and not simply reactionary. There is work to be done in Louisville and throughout this country. And uh, there's, it's work that we can do. Um, in many ways, we should uh, follow the lead of our ancestors, but also understand that there are ways in which we can do uh, do this moving forward our own way. Um, we are powerful people. Um, and it is my sincere belief that we will win. Uh, and we will do so um, by any means necessary. And I think those, those means will require us to be educated, motivated, and organized. All right. Well, I think each of you spoke on something and that was, we have to be willing to do the work to really bring change. And um, I'm, I'm glad you, you all stated that and how you feel and what is needed. And I think me personally, as I end this, you know, my, my, my um, passion and how and what I feel will be needed in order to bring that change is that I do feel that we have to break ties with the traditional things we are used to um, doing, the way we vote, the way we support people, and the way we educate. And that has really motivated me to um, begin the stages of starting my own political party. Um, I, I believe in working with people collectively, no matter what race, no matter what um, demographic you come from, no matter what you know economic background you come from. Um, we, we have to change because since the year of 1778, when we started the electoral college to 2020, where we are today, the world has even changed in the United States and how people, you know, how people view things, how people um, identify with their race, with their with their sexuality, with, with everything that has changed. And I want to be able to say that I did what I, I could to help shift a, a change that will bring better results to, you know, the criminal system, to 
um, the workforce system to any part in dynamics of this um, country that is operated and require people to be in, in active as well as putting their lives on the line, waking up every day to work. So I thank each of you for being a part of this conversation. And I hope those who are listening really take the initiative to not just go out and vote, because I truly believe that this next, whoever gets in office, you know, that it's, it's not gonna change for us immediately, you know, um, because there's so many other things that's in place and in, in play for them, um, just being politicians, period. And um, we have to be the change in order to make those things come into um, fruition. So vote, but also educate yourself about the people that you're voting for, as well as the people you are voting against. And make the best decision based on what impacts you and your family, and not based off of party affiliations or race. So, Thank you all. This is The Reload. I'm Kiana, and I appreciate you, CJ Lawrence, Tamika Bennett, and UB Thomas.